Welcome to the Seed Creative Podcast, the podcast where we discuss both video production and just life in general. The goal of this podcast is the same as the goal of our business, to make a difference in people's lives. All right, now let's do jazz eighth notes. No, okay. And five four. Hello, and welcome to the Seed Creative Podcast. I am your host this time, Nick Golden. Isn't that crazy? I'm the host this time. Our co-hosts are George Edmondson and Nicholas Coker. Nicholas Coker. I hate it's it's weird because it's my own name, but not anyway nicholas coker new guy on the street um so today we are talking about what's like a follow-up to one of our more recent episodes of the podcast our roles podcast this week we're talking about what has changed since then because first of all we have somebody new and second of all you guys worked on a big production that i was not a part of because of course i have school um but I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about, you know, what it was, what it was like to have more of a specific role and how you were able to kind of not do some other stuff. I think that's the hardest part was not doing some other stuff. But first, I had a question that I told George I was going to ask, and I, this is a very important discussion I have. Oh, snap. Which is, before we started rolling, you said the word mannerism. Yeah. And, and I also say it like that. But apparently it's mannerism. It's mannerism. Yeah. This is correct. I actually did know that it was mannerism, but I've just always said mannerism. I don't know. <laughs> I think that I've had many people tell me I'm wrong about it, but I believe that it is a slang that I think should be allowed. And I just w- really wanted to make on the podcast because I find it is important that we can say mannerism. <laughs> Well, it's it's like a mix of mannerism and aneurysm. Yeah. Oh. Well. And that's not that's no good. <laughs> I every time I have a mannerism, I also have an aneurysm. So. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So I mean, technically, it should definitely be mannerism because it's based on the Greek word manner. Which I'm just kidding. I, don't I was about to say, dang George, <laughs> I I do not. It is no. based on manner though. Yeah. Oh. Which oh. is based on the word man, which is based on the word. <laughs> oh, oh gosh this is gonna be one of those podcasts yeah. <laughs> it went deep into it already oh. well anyway so speaking of mannerisms how were your mannerisms on set now i'm just kidding that's a terrible segue that was uh, the worst segue but we're gonna roll with it yeah so it's... tell me about your experience being you were director on the set or no you're a cinematographer DP. I was I was co-director of photography, which is technically unusual for that. It kind is of very set. unusual, but it was actually very necessary because we were working um, in extreme fast-paced environments, but we also were able to achieve extremely high quality. I mean, this junk looks like a freaking movie or like a like a uh, the Men Who Built America. Like if you've seen that show, like it very much reflects that style and look. And there's no way that I think that um, I or the co-DP Kyle Roberts, I don't think that we could have done it as well 
um, having like uh, separated roles of he's the director of photography, I'm camera operator, whatever. Um, because the DP's responsibility is pretty pretty wide. That was my phone. I'm gonna turn it. Oh, off. I haven't seen the new phone yet. Oh, that's so weird. I'm so used to your old chunky case. We're replacing all of our cameras with uh, iPhone 13 Maxes. Give me one second. Pro Someone's Maxes. asking me for advice and say they'll Venmo me, so I want to make some money real quick. Hold on. Okay. So why don't you kind of tell us what you can. I don't know what you can and can't tell us about what the project was before sure. we get too much into it. So Yeah, we can yeah. talk about it a good bit. So it was in collaboration with um, Red Film... Oh, God. Red Sky Studio. It was in collaboration with Red Sky Studio, um, who is based in Birmingham, and they do a lot of feature films and short films, and they're amazing, amazing to work yeah. with. They were so fun. Um, and then also in collaboration with uh, my friend Kyle Roberts, who owns um, Field of View up in Birmingham, which is like a rental house, but they also do you know basically what we do. And so um, it was uh, like a historical reenactment documentary style um video and we're just kind of showing how a company the red sky uh studios client how that company like was created and we were going all the way back to like the 1800s and like early 1900s and stuff like that so the uh the sets were beautiful the i mean we were on a train from like the 20s or 30s riding down the tracks filming it was really nice but as a co-DP, my, my responsibility, honestly, was more on the camera operator side, but with some DP duties, such as I, um, Kyle and I kind of talked uh, when we did the location scout about the lighting setups, and so we kind of both worked on that, even though on the day of, he was more in charge of, like, working with the gaffer and the grip to say, like, this is the light we want, and then I was more in charge of here's the composition of the shot. Here's the lenses we're going to use. Okay. We're going to do a dolly shot here. We're going to do sticks. We're going to do shoulder mount, whatever. And so because we were able, and then I was the camera operator and then Kyle stood behind and what he did operate once or twice, but for the most part I was camera op. And then he stood behind in, in video village and watched the screen to make sure that you know, there wasn't, we couldn't see a, a stinger in the background, which right. is an extension cord, or we couldn't see, you know, a piece of gaff tape that was hiding something, whatever. So we worked really collaboratively on one role, but again, it was because we were, we had to tackle that one job as two people in order to be efficient. Right. And like, and the good thing is, is I work really, really well with Kyle. Right. Like his vision and the like, and he knows honestly so much more than I do about the lighting lingo and all that. He was able to communicate with these guys more effectively than I could. And so that was, that was a time where I was able to just say, dude, like you're going to do this better than I am. Even though we might be able to achieve the same lighting, you're going to know how to articulate that to the people that are responsible for setting the lighting and the grip up faster than I will. So you do that and I'll do, I'll work with the director more and we'll work on lens choice and you know, how we're going to shoot it or whatever. And I think it went, I mean, we worked beautifully together. It was, it was as if it was, it was one person. I mean, it mm -hmm. really was. So um, with that said, in our last roles podcast, we did discuss 
how things were, um, how we do things differently. And I think that it's really important to understand that even though we do things differently, because we all have taken on the role of a DP, the role of a producer, the role of a director, the role of an editor, the role of all of these things before, yep. I was able to just jump right in and I sat perfectly in my role because I understood mm -hmm. it. So that was my experience. The other hard part about that though is I want to go and move a light. I want to go and change my camera. I had a first AC. I've never had a first AC before in my life like this one. I mean, I've had people rig my camera for me, but this guy was like a whole other level. Do you want to tell people what a first AC is? Yeah, for... so that's first assistant camera. So that means that he, as I'm talking to the director, to Kyle, about the setup and stuff, he is getting my camera in place. So I say, I want my camera on a dolly with a hi-hat over here, uh, set up at this angle with this lens, etc. And he does all that for me. I'm not used to that. Yeah. I'm used to saying, instead of me telling him, I would just go do it myself. Right. Um, but it freed me up to talk to the director and make sure that our shot was going to look good and all that stuff. So um, it was really cool, but it was also challenging for me because I would want to just pick my tripod up and move it. So even little things like that, yeah. I, I technically was, now I did it a few times, but he would always come over and be like, dude, that's my job. Let me do that. Like even me picking the tripod up and moving it four feet was Not kind of job. a no, no. Yep. It was like you, you are the DP uh, camera operator, whatever you don't do that. The first AC does that. And I'm like, okay, I've got to like, I'm so not used to this, but obviously at the end of the day, I felt physically better because yeah. I was working on camera moves and all that stuff, but I wasn't carrying my camera everywhere and tripods and stuff like that. So it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Just the physical part of it. Yeah. So I want to come back to some of the stuff you just said, but first, so Coker, so you are more familiar with like more of this style of filming than I think any of us. Cause you did a lot of student film stuff in college, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm interested how this experience was similar and different from stuff that you've like done before. Like, cause I would say you, I, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but um, I would say just based off what I know about the shoot, it is very more, it was very much more traditional than what we normally are. So can you kind of tell me about what it was like how your previous experience translated to this set. Sure, yeah. Um, the main thing that stuck out to me was it just felt so much bigger. Mm. Now, as far as the sheer number of people, it was probably actually close to the same number of people I had on just my little student film set, mm. but still it felt bigger because we had we also had a first ac on that set and a bunch of pas running around this time i was one of those on this set um just all kinds of people doing different things so like i said sheer numbers wise probably exactly the same but it just felt so much bigger right what what i had never experienced was was a grip truck with a trailer pulling up and it's full of all this gear i don't know what half of it is and, you know, we're, just, you know, got a bunch of people moving all this different stuff, set up this, move that, you know, let's, let's get this ready for this. I'm just kind of jumping right in to this whirling dervish 
Um, that's, that's the main way it felt different to me and more delegation, like George was talking about, uh, like he was saying, you know, I would, I would be used to the DP just picking up and moving the tripod themselves as well. Um, but of course, you know, on this set, every, there's this, there's this very clear chain of command that's, that's, that we're strictly following. Was it hard going from being used to being like a director on, or a producer on set to being a PA on set like was it hard i mean i don't want to say i mean it is going down in the no yeah Yeah. the way i view it is it's 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 kind of um crossing from one plane to another where it's like you know here's the the student level and i'm kind of i've kind of gone up through there and here's you know i've reached director and then past this threshold is 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 this professional shoot and now i'm i'm moving up through that threshold as well and i've got to go back to back to the bottom in that world so in a way yes it did feel weird going back down in the sense of coming from my little sets and being i mean just to put it this way being the most important person there right to all of a sudden feeling like the least important person Mm -hmm. there going from the person who knows everything to the person who barely knows anything Mm -hmm. now at the same time though it did feel so appropriate if that makes sense so like i said i'm coming from 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 a as from being a director on my little sets but then i'm looking at this set and everything that's going on you know i I said it was a lot like a whirling dervish earlier and um in in my the previous episode i was in with george we talked about that about how you know i was watching the director and everything and I was impressed with how he was able to direct so many moving parts at one time so that's the way in which it felt very appropriate where I said man I, I've been a director before but I could not direct at this level at this point I've, I've got to got to rise got to learn how many other PAs were on set for this um, I want to say not too many it was it's just me and Gavin, I think, really. There were actually more that and that's what's funny is there were um I think there were in total five or six PAs, mm-hmm. but they were helping um with they were setting up chairs or setting up tables for mm-hmm. the crafty where they were the guy walking around that was handing us all the um walkie talkies. You remember that guy? Yeah. He was a PA. Um there were there were actually multiple PAs doing multiple things. It gotcha. just they may have been like this is the PA that's helping hair and makeup, and so you didn't really, you probably thought they were they were part, just a hair and makeup part person. of hair and makeup, yeah. and, and, and you know the role of a production assistant that's PA is to literally assist in any way any that department. they can in the production, mm-hmm. and so that's go set up these chairs, go hey drive down here and get gas. You mm-hmm. know you did that. One I had time. to do yes, that in the morning. Well. Yeah. Um, drive over here and pick up sandwiches uh-huh. and the store's closed and you have to go to a different one <laughs> and the store's closed and you have to go to a different one. And then by the time we'll you know it, that. that's by, another story. By the time you know it, it's 5 PM and you just got someone lunch, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> uh, a whole different shoot. One that yes. we really technically can't talk about at all other than what I just said. Um, but yeah, there were, there were actually, there were, uh, multiple PAs that kind of helped with, uh, everything all over the place. But, um, from the Seed Creative team, uh, the only, quote, PAs were uh, Nicholas and Gavin. Mm, okay. So, what... I don't know. 
like what was the average age on set like were were was everybody older younger good mix it seemed based on what was i, I was expecting it seemed kind of like a younger set um because i was expecting you know some real old folks in like the the high up positions define, like, define younger like, like i was expecting like like 60 year olds like like in the producer and director roles but but they were not yeah, so as executive producer, I would probably peg him early, early to mid fifties. Yeah, mm. um, and he was like, he seemed like to be the oldest person there. Yeah, but then everyone else was probably closer to my age. Honestly, okay. I'm thirty five, so mid thirties um, were probably a majority of the people. Uh, and then from there, like we were kind of the older people, and then everyone else kind of started to skew a little younger. I think Kyle was, you know, thirty four, thirty five, so he's my age. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool actually, and that's something that I wouldn't have ever thought about. But it is cool to understand or to see that, and to see that you know everyone here is in the same or not not everyone but all the people that I was working with are kind of in the same stage of life but everyone has totally different experience levels mm. and so it's like even though I'm I'm 35 years old and I've been doing video for 7 years Kyle has been doing video I don't even know let's just assume he's been doing it 10 years could be more could be less but his experience in this world reflects that mm. like re- like my experience was very minimal, but the good thing is, again, is I was able to fit right in, and I don't think anyone would have guessed that that was the first like big set that I had ever been on. And yeah. that is the most interesting thing about this whole thing for me is most people, I would say you've gone the non-traditional route for this. Not that, I mean, we're open to doing more stuff like that, but not that we have 50 more shoots lined up exactly like what you did. Um but it's interesting because, you know, you're you two are like exact opposites in how you ended up at this place. Like Coker, you worked in college and kind of worked up to be at a place to where you could like you just said, you worked up to be director so then you could take the next step of going to the professional PA level and then start working up from there. Whereas you learned on your own and didn't go to college. And I think that's like well, you did go to college. I mean for this. Um like you have your own business and your own thing and yet you were both there and doing different things. And I just think that shows something about how there's no one certain path to get to that. Oh, kind of absolutely place. not. Yeah. I think, and this is something, this is like the theme of this podcast. I feel like is that film is everywhere and it can be done in any way. Oh yeah, sure. Um, And the fact that you guys were able to, just just the fact that you're not from LA. Yeah. You're not from you're not in Atlanta. I mean, we're close, but you're not. Um and you were able to just be on this set, a relatively small set still, big for us, small for yeah. any production and fit in. I think it's just a testimony to like the fact that it is happening in Alabama. It's happening all over the place and I think that is new for the film industry. Like, especially, like, I mean, and it was more documentary style also, but at the same time, it was, there were actors. So, all, and all this so stuff. I would say, yeah, so just go back one second. 
So it fits into a documentary, but it actually was not documentary at all. Okay. It was uh it was reenactment. It was very much how if it had been a narrative film would have been shot. So it was still like, you know, audio guy there, like hit your mark. We've got markers on the ground. So it was, I would say it skewed definitely more toward like how a narrative would have been made. It's just, that's not where that fit in to the overall video. The overall video, yes, is a documentary, but it's like a reenactment. Um, and I would also say based on some of the conversations that I had, this was a relatively... It wasn't big. It wasn't a Marvel movie, but this was a pretty average set for mm. if it had been something for AMC or something for, uh, you know, the men who built America. Is that Discovery Channel AMC? I can't remember. I think it's Discovery. Yeah, maybe. Couldn't I don't die. know. But it was actually pr pretty much there. I mean, my God, how many freaking U-Hauls <laughs> did the set the props have there was like four yeah. u-hauls full of props i mean in costumes it was crazy so it was it was pretty on par with what you would experience in atlanta but like you said i've never filmed or worked in atlanta a lot of people that were there were from atlanta right they came over and they they didn't know if i was from la or atlanta or whatever let me say this too we have worked very recently with people from LA and Atlanta and all the, all over the place. And I wasn't impressed. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and state that geography doesn't make you good at film. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter who you are. Um, Oh, it doesn't matter who you know. All that matters is if you're going to do a good job or not. Because the same sun that gives us natural light in L.A. is the same sun that gives us natural light in Alabama. It's It doesn't matter. Like, we use the same power. We use the same microphones. We use the same cameras. So geography is irrelevant. Now, are there advantages to living in places like L.A., Atlanta? Sure, because you can be exposed to that more often. But because of the world of... YouTube and and the world of access to technology, um, it's starting to actually close that gap yep. of like someone is more superior because they come from LA or whatever. It's it's start. I mean, I think that there are obvious benefits to being from there, but I've worked with people before years ago, recently from LA. They just lived in LA. They yep. weren't, that didn't make them better at what they do than me at what I do. And I would, I would actually say that because I did learn completely on my own, um, without being on these big sets and stuff, I think that I might have an advantage to some things. Let's tie this back in. You're going to love this segue of uh, as far as roles go, because as a camera operator, since I have also directed, I have also produced I can feel and feed off of what the director is mm. going for and I can anticipate, okay, they're going for something with more emotion. So I'm going to give, even though it's on sticks, a little bit of movement to create a little bit more edge as opposed to just letting it sit on the sticks. Because I know that's what the director is going for. That's the emotion. 
And even if that director hasn't told me that, I'm going to do it. And the director is going to say, I love it because that actually happened on this on the shoot. Mm. Oh, yeah, I really like that little subtle move there. I wasn't expecting that, but I love it. Um, in L.A. or wherever, it's possible that you come up as your goal as a camera operator. You finally reach that, but you have no experience producing. You have no experience directing. You have no experience editing. You are just, quote, just a camera operator. Now you actually are having to be told what to do because you don't know any better. Right. And so I think that gives us all an edge. Um, we can fit into these roles when we need to, but we can also feel and feed off of other people and how they're working, which Jacob is at Jacob uh, and you are really good at it. I think everyone is getting to a point where, you know, we joke around about how you can just read my mind. Like, that's what I mean by that. Because Jacob knows, like, he literally, like, gets me out of conversations I don't want to be in. Because yeah. he could just tell I'm starting to get annoyed. And he'll come over and be like, hey, man, we need to talk to you about this. And I'll walk over and he's like, I didn't need anything. I just could tell you're getting annoyed. Yeah. I'm like, thank you for that. Well, I think um, the key in everything is work ethic more than anything else. That's true. Um, and I think I was on a zoom call, um, one time fairly recently, uh, and Reese Davis was on there. He is, um, if, for those of you who don't know, he's on ESPN college game day. He does that. Um, and he's a UA alum. And, uh, he was saying that, uh, what got him hired was that, People in some, this is a generalization. I'm just going to say that now. I'm not saying everybody's like this, but people in Alabama know they have to work to like work their way into the industry because it's a non-traditional route. Whereas the, some people in LA assume that because they're there, like just physically being present oh, in yeah. LA or Atlanta, you're just going to get a job. And mm. I think, and that is definitely not true. I have many friends that, have to go and struggle and they have become successful, but you know, it's a struggle. And, um, he was saying that he got hired at his original job, which I can't remember what it was at ESPN. Um, because they could tell a difference in his work ethic. And I never forgot that because, um, I just found it really inspiring because I, and this was like, this is a while back now, but I always assumed that, it wasn't possible to break into any industry. And this is before I was doc style of being a director or anything like that without going to one of those places. And it was something I didn't really want to do. Like I was like, I want to do this, but I don't want to move. Yeah. Um, and being here and seeing what we can do, like I think, and this is something you could also talk about, like seed, I'm not going to say is fighting that instinct, but is um, showing people that high level productions can be done here in Alabama by a crew that is based in Tuscaloosa. And there is little to no difference in production quality from someone that hires like, you know, we're doing videos for a local hospital here and they look exactly like stuff that you would see on TV for these big, pharmaceutical things and it's because it is possible to do here. So yep. like what I'm kind of asking you is like, how have you had to pitch that to people to show them that Tuscaloosa is a place that can have this high level of video? Like, 
So um, I like this question. And the good thing is, is uh, to be completely honest, I haven't had to pitch myself in probably four or five years. Right. Um, and a lot of our biggest work has come in the last three or four years. So it's almost like it's one of those things where it's like be judged by your fruit. Don't be judged by, you know, and that's, we are seed creative and there's a purpose and all of that. But, um, we're, we're, we're proven by what we put out and we don't have to try to do anything else. People are going to hire us based on our past works. So when someone asks me, Hey, can you send me a video? Um, we have this company that wants, you know, I'm just going to use this as an example, a safety training video. You know, I go back to these a lot because that's really how I got like my foot in the door. Um, do you have anything you can show us? Yeah, I do. And I send it to them and we get hired and it's just, that's kind of it. I don't have to say, well, we're based in Tuscaloosa. You know, we, we, we've been hired by a company in Nashville Mm. and they're in Nashville we are in Tuscaloosa. Now, I, there is a job happening here in Tuscaloosa, but they also have jobs in Huntsville and Nashville, all over the place that they want to hire us on. Mm-hmm, and they want us to go. Yeah. And they want us to go out there because they believe in the product that we put out and think that it is going to be better than what they might find locally. And it, it might be, and it might not be. I mean, it all depends on style. Um, you know, we've talked about this before too. Like, the end of the day, as long as the video works for the client, it doesn't matter as much what it looks like or who did it. As long as the client feels like they are justified in the cost. Um, and so we just, we happen to be, you know, a company that can provide that. And we've, to be totally honest, not ever had a client upset with what we give them even when we have to go through struggles to get it done, right. even if we have to reshoot things, whatever, we always make it right. Um, with that said, there are absolutely people out there that are just crazy and they're just not going to be happy with anything. It doesn't matter what you do because they can't afford it and they like get sweaty thinking about it. They're like, I made a mistake. I'm just going to freak out and say this video is no good and try to get my money back. You know, we've had stuff like that happen before too. Um, but it's, uh, it's always like lower budget clients too. Like we've never had like a, like a upper, you know, 10,000 plus project come back and ask for their money back or ask for another video or anything like that. We've never had that happen. It's because they, they are in, it's not like they say we want a video and then they never ask anything about it. Like we produce it. We, we send them scripts, they approve it. And that's oh, yeah, why dude. it works. No, we, we involve them in our process yeah. from, from bottom to top because it's all about managing expectations. I know I've talked about this before. Um, and I know we're almost done with this episode. So, uh, Coker, I haven't let you talk a whole lot. He'll get to talk in the next one. Um, but it's all about managing expectations and, Basically, I will like digitally, not in reality, digitally get in someone's face, almost like a parent to a child and say, look me in the eye. You understand what we're getting, right? I did that in a meeting recently where it was almost felt like the meeting when it was unnecessary, but it it was necessary. And here's why. 
because I wanted everyone to witness the client saying, I approve of these scripts. I approve of the shots. I approve of the voiceover. I mean, I asked everything. I approve of the length. I We're going to make sure so that when we give you that video, you are not coming back to us and saying, this isn't what I expected. Exactly. That's not good. That is not going to happen when you work with us because I won't let it. I'm like, no, you know what it's going to look like. Like you understand. And then we always try our best to exceed that expectation. You know? So if we say this is, you know, this is what it's going to look like or feel like it's always okay. Now, Hey Coker, could you throw in a little bit more animation for us? We're going to go a little bit, we're going to go a little bit higher value, higher production than what they thought. So that when they get it, they're like, Oh, this is what I thought it was going to be. And more and better. We don't ever want them to be completely blindsided. So basically from, let me just sum all everything up because I, I understand what you're saying, but I want to make it clear. So basically what you're saying is because of our work, both our work and how we our work ethic and how we are able to work with any client, like they enjoy working with us. Oh yeah. We've proven that it is possible to do this kind of production. Sure. Yeah. 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 Out of Tuscaloosa. Yep. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Our biggest clients in Poland. Yep. They don't care that we're in Alabama. Also, we got hired to do this documentary. Um, oh, the, the, <laughs> it won an Emmy, didn't it? Yeah. I think we won an Emmy. Oh, my God. It's crazy. I know. Coker, you won an Emmy? Yes. Coker won an Emmy. Coker. Coker won an Emmy. Coker is the single most important person on that documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So important that he totally eclipsed the credits completely. Yeah, exactly. He also made the sculptures. Yeah. You were the artist in the documentary. Yeah. Yes. He actually founded Alabama. Yes, we did a documentary, the end. We mentioned it. Good job. Now the podcast can end. Yep. So thank you for joining us. We will have another podcast next week and the week after that and the week after that. So come back, stick around, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're on YouTube, you know, all the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Apple Spotify. Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts. You can book tickets to come and watch a live recording. Hey, if you want to pay us $10,000, you can come watch a live podcast. We'll let you be in it for $10,000. No, that's, 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 uh, $11,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. We got to have packages for $20,000. We'll talk about whatever you want. And for $30,000, you can have one of our Canon cameras. But the 5D. <laughs> no, I wouldn't sell that one, dude. That started my company. Okay, fine. The C100, but just the handle. I'll, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, you can have the C100 for $30,000. <laughs> All right, anyway, that's been it. We're out. This podcast was produced by Nick Golden with executive producer George Edmondson, edited by Nick Golden and Gavin Manning. Be sure to subscribe, drop a like and a comment. Tune in every Monday for brand new podcast content, and we'll see you on the next one.